Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Each episode, your hosts bring you news, views, and abuse from America's professional rugby union, along with all the latest on the USA national team. Now, with all that said, let's get on with the show. Earful Welcome of Dirt. Welcome, everybody, to the Earful of oh. Dirt podcast. My name is Liam Post. Joined with me, as always, is Aaron Castro. You can find him on Twitter at the Strobro. And Craig Medelli, uh at Monday Morning Fly Half there on Twitter. I did the intro for you, Aaron, so yeah. pick up the slack, mm-hmm. man. <laughs> the Aaron misses a week, and now he's just behind the curve. Doesn't yeah. Really so do as I do, as I do some admin to get our link out there, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, so how'd you guys week go? Um, uh, I was talking to some people, and Josh got some props from Atlanta. Um, for always showing up and asking the most insightful questions on their in their press conferences, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Un- um, unfortunately, this past Saturday I was working midday shifts, so uh, I didn't get to watch Jack for rugby except for uh, you know a little bit of Sunday's early games and stuff like that. Oh, you, but, didn't, uh, you didn't watch that was that Sunday early game entertainment. Watch MLR after dark. <laughs> no, thank, thank God for the rugby network, man. Because yeah, no, a, a lot of my after shift nights are spent watching, spent watching rugby and not trying to look at our group chat where you guys spoil shit for me. I, hey, you know, I I, I, I I tried so hard. This is a cutting to, edge news organization, Liam. There's no spoilers. I, I tried so hard to not see the score of the of New England versus Austin, like you know, like on my way home from work. But my dumbass, of course, just you know, instinctively opens Facebook and right there, first post that I see is final score. Like I will say though, I mean, I didn't try. I, I had to have work Saturday morning, which was annoying because I had planned to go cycling and then I didn't stop working until about one o'clock. Oh, oh woe is me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, you know, the cool th- and the cool thing I guess is that I was able to watch a little bit of rugby while I was working. Um, so for anyone who was trying to watch the Super Rugby uh, Taroa and Australia finals, that was wasn't that difficult because it was on YouTube. But like, if you don't exactly know where to go, um, you might be choosing to pirate a stream and watch it live instead of watching the legal stream for it. And I watched it on demand, and the cool thing is that both games, they were just on back-to-back on the same stream on what is the ESPN fans channel that's uh, Super or ESPN Argentina, ESPN Sur uh, owned YouTube network. And Still so not better have, than the Ocho, baby. <laughs> you know, it, and I watched those games, and I was just like, man um, – this is great. Like that, it, it, not just because like I didn't avoid social media or anything to like avoid those scores, but because I cleaned up my Twitter a while ago and put everything on like lists rather than me following a bunch of rugby stuff. Cause when I, when I use Twitter on my computer, I tweet deck open so I can read multiple feeds and you know, it's what happens when you, uh, uh, you know, you have to manage like four different Twitter accounts. So um, I know Cowan and Company or uh, Cowan and Company. Is that the old? No, Stifle was the old. old hey, company, Craig, right? could, could, you total, could, 
Craig, could you totally see Aaron becoming Lobot from Star Wars, like with the headset? Yeah, you, you kind of look like him right now. This is like <laughs> oh a Lobot God. prequel. Oh my gosh! But um, for some reason, I guess like since it happened at like one a.m. Um, West Coast time, I just all the Twitter stuff just like didn't come to me like until I went on the tweet deck to look at stuff after the game. So that was kind of cool where I didn't close everything out, but I ended up not being spoiled for those games. So that was kind of cool um, before we ever even got to MLR. But um, I don't care how great those games were. Nothing was as great as this week of MLR. The average point differential this week. It, it had to be like two or four and a half, four and a half, maybe Not less. Was, I think it was like three point one. Really? It's like because the because the first day was just a combined eleven points, which was fucking, which is crazy. Three, and, um, then, and then LA and New York was two points, and then Seattle and uh, was six. Was six. Yeah, um. Seven. So it. Man, I it was such a great weekend for rugby when it comes to like what MLR is and what the promise of MLR is. Um, I know that you know we're we're starting to see some national team news for both the men's and Eagles and Le Rouge. Le Rouge Homme, uh, the Red Men, um, which is the uh, the Canadian national team, and. You know, like, so I guess getting into it, uh, U.S. is playing two games. Canada is playing two games. Um, I think that works out. It is at the business end of the season. But from what I understand, the national team coaches, both Gary Gold and Kingsley Jones, are going to endeavor to stick to the bare minimum when it comes to days of release, days of release from club duty to – the national team and then release back. So they understand the conflicts that we have in this year and they're going to, you know, they appreciate what the MLR provides and they're going to try and help out where they can when it comes to selecting players and for how long they keep them. Um, but I, I think for, strictly speaking from a U.S. standpoint, um, instead of having what was going to be like five games or something crazy. We end up with two. Um, and as much as like, there is some trepidation for me just because of the, the level of play, um, two games, high level competition, uh, players come back, play in the playoffs. Then they get like a week off and then they go straight into camp uh, for probably, I think two weeks and then they'll play Canada um, in a, I think it's a, some type of home and away format. I don't know if it will be away in Canada. Maybe something like um, away in Atlanta. <laughs> Canada. Canada. Like, the U.S. plays the U.S. home game is in uh, you know color in Denver, Colorado, at the Glendale facility, and the Canadian game is uh, you know in Seattle or in Atlanta. You know, because Atlanta is now Toronto of the South. Um, <laughs> they have planted that flags. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I I mean, it's a good set of fixtures. We've never had a um, back-to-back Tier 1 games, as far as I know, ever. 
at least since I've been following the game in any test window that wasn't a World Cup test window. I, I was um, going to say, unless you count the World Cup. <laughs> I mean, unless you count the World Cup, you know. So uh, it, it's just it's just so hard to know because England will ha- has played games this, six, this last Six Nations, right? Even though 12 guys are going to – uh, the Lions, and then some guys will take this time to get some rest, and then, uh, pardon, uh, and then you're yes, gonna get a lot of your underdog. You, the the colonial Americans in 1776, 4th of July, <laughs> or USA Eagles versus England rugby in 2021, 4th of July. I'm saying they better be respectful because we about to get rowdy. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, um, yeah, that's a that's a that's a good a good analogy. What like who thought like who made the scheduling decision? Hey, you know, let's let's play the United States on. July. It's the only in the world that World Rugby schedule that came out. It's the I think it's the only test match on the fourth of July. All the others that we get are on the third. So it definitely seems uh, purposeful. Uh, decision to have it on American, yeah, it, it does. And tie in, we're like, they're showing us in the unlikely scenario. Is in the unlikely scenario that the USA picks up a win over England, that that's a movie right there. You know, yeah, Mark, Wahlberg, Mark Wahlberg is gonna jump on that the second that <laughs> Mark Wahlberg's goes. gonna play someone like Mark Wahlberg's gonna play a flanker, he's gonna he's be gonna like, he's gonna be like made to look six foot four, like he was in um. What was the, um, not no 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 not that the uh mark Wahlberg played marcus Luttrell, um in the the seal movie uh what was it um what was marcus Luttrell's book's name uh, uh i know what you're trying i can't be a lone survivor yeah lo- so so if anyone who's ever met marcus Luttrell, and i did several years ago he's like six foot five 250 like Big boy. And Marky Mark is five foot. All right, what seven? Who would be your cast for if we had you know to cast Team USA in this movie? I feel like Mark Wahlberg can be a, a Ruben de Haas, perhaps. I mean, is, is <laughs> still five inches too is, short? <laughs> is Matt Damon like you know just like in in rugby film canon? Is he just <laughs> with South Africa like from now on? Yeah, Matt Damon's <laughs> captured by no. South Matt, Matt, Matt Damon is uh. Who who is who was Matt Damon? Um, his Matt Damon. Well, Matt Damon was uh, what's his name? Um, uh, uh, a character. Oh, I can't think of his student. Yeah. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll give uh, I'll give Nate Brakeley to Ben Affleck. Um, just, ah, you know, both, ah. both, both Eastern oh. Massachusetts guys. Francois. Francois That's his name. Pinar, yeah. Um, in Invictus. Um, so Matt Damon is forever a. A you know is forever Francois PNR. So we need how about like, like what's the guy who plays Hawkeye in Avengers? I feel like he could be Andy McGinty. Okay. All right. All right. Oh um, um J- Jeremy Rennick or something like yeah, that. Jeremy yeah, Jeremy We need yeah. so Chris Evans needs to be like Cam Dolan, right? Chris Evans is Cam Dolan. I like that yeah. one. Uh all right, so we got our second row right there with with Chris Evans and Matt and Ben Affleck. <laughs> uh, All right, well, Twitter people, let us know your your uh, your castings for the USA. Uh, you know, if you were casting the USA rugby movie, 
<laughs> we need to no. We need to do this. Oh, have, oh Tom Holland as Aj McGinty. I want to. I want it. Oh, I want it. Tom Holland as Aj McGinty. All right. All um, right. See, uh, who would be? Aaron's having a lot of fun right now with this. We got to have like the Rock in this movie as <laughs> Samu Manoa. The no, rock. the Rock is uh, the Rock is TT uh, Lamasatelli. Okay. All right. All right. TT's been working out in the office. Okay. All right. Uh, let's see. I put the rock at eight, man, though, just to is that that height, that build. <laughs> you know, just you got same. Yeah, let's do. Oh, maybe maybe the rock is CC Mahoney, you know, because the rock looks extra young. Looks extra young right now. Does Rock um, play the part of the guy who doesn't make the team? But yeah, I. Man, we need to do this in a more thought, well thought out <laughs> format. But this was great. Um, who is who plays? Uh, like the who's someone? Jason. That David could be Will Hooley too. Matt, oh yeah, that's a that's a good shout. He's got like the same hair and the chin. Oh, that, that's perfect. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio. Tom, Tom, Tom Cruise can be Will McGee. Oh, <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, let's see. I'm so bad with movie people right now. It's it's All pretty right. bad. Moving on social media. This uh, is a good subject to tackle at length uh, with with the fan base. USA US beats if USA if the US Eagles beat England on July 4th. How would you cast this movie? We, we got to start getting this stuff under copyright, guys. Ruck, Ruck Justice in the USA versus England, the movie. Okay. I mean, there was some Ruck, there was some Ruck Justice this weekend, and a dude got a rat. So good for, good, good for <laughs> that. Yeah, the one. So well, well, there were no. I don't. There were no Reds in MLR this weekend. In fact, there haven't been any for a bit. But I don't think there have been any deserved Reds either. So. I think we're doing discipline wise. I think we're doing okay. Um, so. But um, getting into our first game, Houston twenty six, uh, Nola twenty eight. Liam. Yep. So, like Aaron said, uh, Houston was just barely, um, just barely came out of this with, with the loss. And at this point, it seems like any kind of playoff hope, um, you know, to cl- clinch that number two seed in the West is absolutely done. Um, I really don't foresee them you know, overtaking Austin or, um, you know, or, or Utah in, to- in uh, terms of total win totals at, at the end of the season. Uh, right now, Houston sitting at fifth place in the West at 2-5, and five, 13 table points. NOLA, 4-2-1, and one, 24 table points. Um, in terms of what I was seeing in the game, I thought the set piece uh, for either side looked about fine. Uh, NOLA, I, th- I think, is like showing some real, real marked improvement uh, from week one until now. Uh, I thought it was kind of poetic how Pat O'Toole helped open up the scoring for Nola, though, with a perfectly thrown ball, which was just brought into a mall, uh, got Nola gold their first try of the, of the day. Um, you have to hand it to Houston, though. Uh, at one point, Nola was up like 21 points to nine. Um, the only the, the only points Houston has been able to manage, as you know, is often the case, is uh, Sam Windsor converting a few penalty conversions. Um, and you'd imagine a team in Houston's place, you know, outside shot of the playoffs, kind of beginning to crumble, start planning vacations in their heads. Uh, but they definitely made it a contest right into halftime. Uh, by the time the second half came along, we started seeing some great movement and meters to the outside, uh, particularly the Vinacala's try off the chip kick. 
uh, and the Boyer pass uh, back to him, I thought that, that that ended up being a try, correct? Because um, I, I know there was there was yeah. some question about whether he got call, uh, called into touch. Yeah, I think he got he got that try. I mean, they got three yeah, tries. That's, so that, that's that, my those favorite. are the only the, I were watching the game. Those are the only three times they were in end goal. Yeah. So yeah, no that that was probably my favorite scoring sequence of the entire season so far. Um, Boyer obviously was able to get himself a try just because of those. Uh, no, it, I don't. It wasn't Boyer who got the try. He just got the line break. Correct. Well. I mean, Boyer got a try. Yeah, all right. No, I'm sorry. My, my, my notes are all over the place. But anyway, uh, yeah, Boyer, uh, you know, playing fine fine as usual. He's finding a lot of those A-gaps. Um, unfortunately, it just comes down to Houston making mistakes and their defense kind of letting up those points, uh, you know, especially in the second half, allowing Nola to kind of get back into it. Uh, Cam Dolan, as usual, looks like the best offensive player despite being a forward. Um I, I don't want to offend Despite forward. Despite being a forward, <laughs> said the back. I, I, don't, I don't want to offend anybody, but uh, the, the guy's an absolute wrecking ball. I love it when, when, he's, when he's carrying the ball in, in traffic. Um, he, he makes a lot of people miss. He makes a lot of people commit to trying to bring him down, and that in turn opens up holes to the outside, and I think Nola has been making that work really well for them this season. Um, and it helped them get the victory over Houston. Uh, so, yeah, l- like I said, I don't see Houston uh, overcoming any – uh, eventual win totals uh, by their Austin or, or Utah. So mathematically, still in the hunt. I don't think Realist- Houston realistically dead. I just dead don't think. I just don't think they're a third place team in this conference as it goes. Now, um, for all we know, the the uh, the wheels of Austin could fall off, but I don't think they will. Um, no, and and I'll, maybe I'll, I'll talk maybe, about, maybe the wheels of LA fell off this weekend. <laughs> and yeah, no, I'll, I'll talk about this in my next Ooh. recap. I. I uh, Austin, uh, Austin's a good team. They're performing well. You know, it's just some of these these late late match losses that are absolutely killing them. Yeah. Uh, so moving on to Austin, uh, eighteen, New England, twenty two. This was an interesting game. I think a lot of people picked uh, Austin. Uh, I ended up locking my pick before I saw the lineup, which was stupid. Um, yeah. By, by the way, Aaron, how is Superbro going since a few weeks ago when you called out how you had passed me on Superbro? Um, <laughs> I mean, okay, so, so, here's the, picks. So, so here's the thing, Craig. You Last week you got a grand slam point. This week I only missed it because I didn't pick New York. Idiot. <laughs> Who, okay, so you want to talk about a pick that was hard to make? 96% of Super Brew picked New York. Picked LA, yeah. Or picked LA. Picked that yeah, game I'm, wrong. I'm, I'm not surprised. Only 4% of the – so what is like 30 – The big guy, Scott Ferrer. Yeah, I, I was gonna, I was just going to say, Scott has like two or three accounts on Super Brew, and that, um, that was the majority of it. <laughs> let's look at – so 3,500. I think, uh, I think Austin was heavily favored too, if I recall. I think it was – they only had like uh, – I feel like New England had only 22%. So, uh, like, out of 3,500 people, we're talking 140 people picked New York to win. Like, come on. That, I, hey, man, if, 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 you, if you had put 100 bucks on that game, you would have walked out with some money. <laughs> but, uh, all right, so, but here's the thing. Austin didn't win, and that's what I'm all set to talk about right now. So, Final score in that game, New England 22, Austin 18. 
Uh, New England now sitting at third place in East at four and three with 21 points. Austin uh, sitting at third place in the West at four and three with 22 points. So that's not really going to matter when it comes to the playoffs because these teams are in two different divisions, but interesting stat nonetheless. So Houston was the comeback that almost was this week. Uh, this game, it just was. Uh, New England, they were down 11 points at one point in the first half, and they held Austin to just one more try for the rest of the game while putting up 22 of their own. And for once, Dougie Fife wasn't responsible for the vast majority of it. I know. Imagine that. So Barlow had a good game. Oh, oh yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, and, and he, I believe he made the, uh, the first 15. Am I correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The guy who... So, yeah. Yeah, you're the guy who kind of, you know, makes it. Anyway, <laughs> you're, you're the guy who I, who I can, you know, bitch at every now and again if I dis, if I disagree with it. Although, Aaron, I, I think there's there's only one time that I can remember where I ever gave you grief for, for, for a player not making the first 15. It was, like, at some point when I was still down in Houston. I would say, whole, I would say. And the whole office every, was like, are you kidding me? I would say this to everyone. Um, a, there's, it, it's a long process. Um, especially at this point in the season, um, a, um, if you don't know the disclaimer, yes, I, I do work f- for MLR and in, in some capacity. So that's how, you know, I, I do this one thing. Um, but when we get to this point in the season, it's really hard to pick 15 guys. Mm-hmm. Like it's really hard to pick 15 guys. Like I would say, and I'm not saying I use a coin to, I use a, a toonie as the guys that were at Lou Rouge rugby pick um, to, to make a loony or a toonie. Yeah. So it's a $2 coin. I'm not saying I use a toonie to, to make the pick. I'm just saying it's, it's fairly difficult once you hit mid season, because there are usually a lot of players uh, that um, perform really well. So you have to take a long time to evaluate um, that. And it, it takes me, you know, I, we have scouts that watch games and then I read reports and then I look at analytics and then I talk to broadcast and, you know. I'm glad the teams actually, you know, are watching though and care about who's getting in the first 15. That's good to know. The clubhouses are, are eagerly awaiting the decisions. For sure. Oh, yeah. So back to the game. Um, I thought this is the best free, the best that the free jacks have actually looked all season in terms of their execution within the system. And, you know, that being said, I get that they were down for majority of the first half. Um, John Poland continues to be one of the best nines in the entire league. And it's in large part due to his teammate picking up more of the slack each week. Uh, this more fluid execution of the attack, I, it, it opened up stuff for guys his like teammates Paul. picked up the slack. So he's better. Pick up the slack. So <laughs> my man, JP's doing his thing. Um, but it opened up the attack on the outside for guys like Boyle and first-time starter Pex Rinakama, who is a Lynn resident currently, which is a town right next to where I grew up. Um, they were able to really threaten the um, the Austin defense with their speed, uh, you know, force them to not commit too much to uh, to the shift in the inside. Uh, anyway, meanwhile for Austin, despite the result, I thought there was some really good rugby out of them uh, in this one as well, uh, because the first half didn't leave me with a whole lot of confidence for the Jacks to be able to overcome it. Um, I felt like some of the phases in terms of the set piece and open play seemed to be operating pretty efficiently. Uh, guys like McIntosh, who was still able to move his legs after his long career somehow, uh, <laughs> provided a really good deal of pressure up there in the front row, which gave Austin a few good attacking platforms. Um, I thought local boy Zinzan Elon Puddick was able to show off in a few instances in the back row, so that was always fun. Um, 
But as per usual with their victories, New England's defense in their own territory is what helped seal the deal, uh, keeping Austin down to that one final try while they mounted the comeback. Uh, we really need some sort of stat for points after penalties, I think, because I feel like the Jacks' biggest area of visible improvement has been making the most out of good field position when it gets handed to them, um, which doesn't necessarily result in a ton of possession time, but it's, hey, man, it's getting results because they're able to strike quickly whenever they actually get into the, uh, you know, the, the opposing team's red zone. Terrible, yeah. terrible lineout numbers, but great on the mall. I was, I mean, I was very, I'll be honest, I was very inspected. Ever impressed by their set piece, not really their not really their lineup, but more their scrum. Um, with New England, Seth, yeah, with Seth Fagasse um, going down, you had Quentin Newcomer. Uh, I'm going to have start. a stat for you late later on that, that might surprise you. Well, I mean, I, I see the stats all the time, so none of them surprise me. But <laughs> uh, I was just really surprised that in Quentin Newcomer. I thought they were going to get demolished. Um, and Quentin Newcomer, even though he had a yellow in this game, I thought he scrummed very well, matched up pretty well uh, against Mason Pedersen. In fact, I thought Mason Pedersen struggled a little bit, which was kind of weird uh, because, A, he's very good, but it was just really weird to, to see him um, actually struggle against uh, a fairly inexperienced rugby player. Quentin Newcomer um, has actually played um, not many years of rugby, and most of them like are in the MLR, so mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of funny. But, but I mean, the, the, the eagle himself, Kyle Sikora, um, he, he came in. You mean, um, I, I mean pot roast. Pot roast. We're calling the it eagle. pot roast on the eagle. The, the eagle. Um, anyway, so yeah, no, I thought he, I thought uh, his performance coming in off the bench early on in the game, I, I believe it was after Quentin's, um, Quentin's yellow card because they had to have a front rower in there. Um, I thought he performed pretty well. He, d- he hasn't really had a whole lot of professional minutes yet, um, especially since last season got cut short. Uh, but he's somebody that the Free Jacks are really, really excited about in terms of a homegrown USA player. Um, and man, he, he, he really embodies the whole New England spirit. That guy is a, a barrel of laughs and energy. Moving on to Atlanta. Um, this Fire and Ice Cup. Fire and Ice Cup. So that was kind of cool. We now branded it. I know that the coaches were like, eh, marketing. So (laughs) fun fact, uh, Fire and Ice is the name of an extremely overrated tourist trap restaurant in Boston. It's like one of those places where you just like, you know, put all like your raw meat and vegetables into a bowl. You hand it to to the chef and they cook it for you. Everything gets overcooked. Everything's so like, well done. It sounds kind of like Mongolian barbecue. It's also it, the name it, of an overrated book series. <laughs> that overrated book series? How dare you? Well, dare I mean, you. I guess the book series is good, though. I wouldn't, it's hard to remember since there hasn't been a book in 15 years. But uh, I guess a TV series that turned out to be overrated in the yeah, end. Yeah, the TV series ended up flopping at the end. Oh, <laughs> and I remember, I remember that same TV series. We talked about the end, and someone left us a negative review. It's <laughs> 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 like, why are they talking about this? I was like, I don't a scrum know. Scrum of ice and fire. That's what we call it. Scrum, a scrum of ice and fire. So yeah, um, you know, it, it was a fairly. Uh, just interesting game uh, when it comes to players. I, I tweeted this out the other day. Uh, you know, I, a player that, you know, in football, you have a bell cow, which is a running back that will literally take every carry and just go. Well, for, for Atlanta, that was Jason Damp. He had 16 carries for 108 meters and, uh, 
and, and a try. Uh, he got to work in the breakdown. He made tackles, uh, breakdown steals. Like he was just a monster in this game. It was kind of weird. Um, you know, generally uh, Rumble and Diana were kind of, I wouldn't say that they were held quietly because, you know, Lucas Rumble still had a really good game, uh, especially in the breakdown and defensively where he was really silent, silent was offensively. And I think they, they were sort of hurting from that. Um, one of the things that uh, Atlanta was really good at was just the general, um, you know, overall play and forcing them to be a bit slower than they could be. Uh, but, the they, Atlanta went really fast. They had a 63% quick ball rating. Um, and uh, unlike the, I think the last time I would have to look, but the last time uh, Toronto was a lot able to play a lot faster. And in this game, they, you know, were really slow at the breakdown. Like Atlanta just overloaded that they had good dominant tackles um, in, you know, even though the score line is actually pretty big, like, I, I think one of the reasons why uh, Toronto got there was inefficiencies with uh, what Atlanta did uh, in their defense, and that's what allowed them to score via penalties. And it, one team that you don't want to give field position to in this league is definitely Toronto um, because they will make you pay when they, when they get the chance. Um, I thought – uh, Ross Brody, who has had some amazing games, did not perform well. Um, I thought where you know, a player that really performed well for them was Taylor Adams uh, and also Tom Tom De La Vega. But generally, this is, in a sense, somewhat a forgettable game. Um, I think for Atlanta, they're looking at this and going, uh, we were able to slow their, their ruck down and their – attack this much, but we still let them score a bunch of points. Um, I feel like they, they gave, you know, we mentioned Invictus earlier uh, you know, in Jets, but I feel like they were giving Montero the uh, the Jonah Lomu treatment from Invictus. It was like, I think Montero had, what, five tries in the previous two weeks. It was like they were not going to let him score. Every time Montero got the ball, four Atlanta players appeared from the grass and just brought him into touch. It was like three times they tried to get the ball wide to Montero, and three times he was immediately mobbed by – I don't know how they had that many defenders even in the area, and they brought him right out. And uh, so, so this is Montero for you. So he had six carries. On six of those carries, he turned the ball over. Or on four of those carries, he turned the ball over. Yeah, um, and it must have been three of the, those turnovers because he was brought into touch by an army of Atlanta players. So, like – he didn't, he was pretty silent and well, that didn't stop. That didn't, you know, that didn't stop other players from having good games. Gaston Mirez played very well. Leandro Levas played very well. Obviously I mentioned Tomas de la Vega, but. Since they had seven defenders on Montero all game. Yeah. So everyone else had some it, it still wasn't enough uh, overall uh, to, to get the job done. And I, I think one of the things we're starting to see is, you know, sort of Atlanta settled down and, and their physical intensity is um, starting to ratchet up. Uh, I, I don't think that the forever road warriors, Toronto arrows are a bad team at all. I think we're going to get into what 
uh, later on a, a team that has a horrible record. And they're not a bad team either. But I think that um, just, you know, being away for so long is going to affect their their overall record. But I've all, I also think they've had a ton of injuries, even though, like, this looks close to a first team. Um, I, I don't really think that they were that fit um, going into this game. It's getting hot down south. So... How yeah, deciding um, to go for the, uh, the the sideline just to try to win the game at the end rather than you know taking a shot to try? I thought that was a bold choice. Before Aaron, you know. um, so like a few, a few I mean, like like, uh, like Utah did, you know? Well, Utah had no choice; they were yeah. down six, but they yeah. you know Atlanta was down three. They could have tied it with a kick. Yeah, I think I think Scott Lawrence is one of those guys where he's. He's he's not someone that goes for ties. Yeah, he's just well, he's just if you that's one of the cooler guys I I've met, and but he's also one of the most intense guys I've met in this sport. And I don't think he draws ain't ain't his thing. He's he he's, he wants a win or a loss. Um, it may a draw may help his team, but I think he just wants a win or a loss. Hey man, one of the few things that PRO really did well was in was instituting overtime because I hate draws too. All right, it's just un-American, man. I need to know who the winner is. Did you just reference pro PRO? Though you PRO, said? we got to call it pro rugby, pro rugby North America. Uh, you know, no, yeah, uh, that was cool, but I, you know. I, I I get it. I'm I'm over hating draws. I think, uh, and what things have taught me in Major League Rugby is that there are losers in draws. There are losers in draws. Just because you drew doesn't mean you win. Who gets the Fire and Ice Cup if the inaugural match is a draw? Would it go back to Atlanta, who won Week One? I, uh, it gets, it gets I, taken back into the hills. Of point differential. You know, yeah, it goes across the narrow sea and waits for the oh, Targaryens. I don't have a shoe with me, but um, <laughs> uh, you know, boat race, <laughs> boat race, uh, beer pong. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I propose an EOD boat race live uh, on air sometime. <laughs> so moving. So this game is this is probably the team that you know I'm gonna I'm gonna mention after Craig breaks it down. That is probably has the worst record. They are the team with the worst record uh, in the East, yeah. but in some ways they're not a bad team. So DC thirty three, Utah thirty four. Yeah, not a bad team at all. I think DC is a very strong team. You know, they say with heavyweight boxing or all boxing uh, that matchups make fights. I feel like this was such a great matchup of styles. I feel like Utah is the is a more flashy, you know, highlight reel attacking type of team. Uh, World Glory, you know, with Tusatala has a little bit of that, but they're more of a tactical attack and like a big play defense type of team. And I thought it really panned out just exactly that way. I actually had my in-laws here for, we had a birthday party for my son. Uh, so I had my in-laws here Saturday. We were watching Utah DC on TV and, uh, Oh, they were into it. I mean, it, it was a very entertaining match, back and forth, decently high scoring, not as, not as high scoring as some of the outrageous scores we, we'd seen earlier this year, but, you know, pretty pretty active uh, scoreboard changeovers and another super dramatic finish. Um, 
you know, it, you know, old glory had pulled ahead. This is in Utah. Uh, so there was a, a lively crowd. Uh, you know, you could actually hear them on TV, which was a refreshing change from the last year of sports watching 3,500 people for their first game with no restrictions. So yeah. I think they'll like all those people that were new, they're coming back. Right. And they were pumped people. I mean, they weren't quiet. They were happy to be there. Uh, uh, and and they didn't even need the piece for sell tickets. <laughs> yeah, and you got the, the mountains in the background. It was it was a nice it was a nice venue to be watching. Such an exciting finish, and like uh, like Atlanta, another win at the death. In this case, uh, Utah was actually down six. And it was the eighty first minute. They had a they had an attacking scrum at the five. Uh, you know, ball came out, went through a few phases. Uh, eventually, went to to fly half Hagen Schulte, who who kicked it back the other way to Mika Cruz, who's moved around a bit, uh, but it seems to have found a home here at Utah, playing center too. Uh, and you know, he had a he had a cut in through the defense. It really wasn't the sharpest cut. Really, I think there was probably a defensive miscommunication there. It looks like Roberts Tanana drifted wide when he should have you know, filled the gap and, and taken Mika Cruze, but Cruze just kind of walked through the defensive line at the end, dotted it down. They needed the conversion to uh, to seal the win, and Hagen Schulte hit the conversion, and and crowd went nuts. People charged the field. It was it was a lot of fun to watch. But I love yeah, they, wait, wait, they actually charged the field? The crowd did it, but the players ran on the field. Oh, okay, oh, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I was watching this, and I didn't. What? No, the players charged the field. The crowd just cheered. But uh, I mean, it, it was a very entertaining. Match. I, I think both teams played pretty well. I mean, it was not a. It was a high quality game. I, I thought, and uh, you know, I, I think Old Glory, even though they are in the last, I mean, they're only what are they like nine points out of uh, first in the East. Hey, um, they would be. has fifteen points. Would they be fourth in the West? Is my question. Yeah. Um, yeah, but maybe I mean 15 points. So they're they're basically I mean a, the last playoff spot right now in the East is 23. So they're yeah, eight points. So they're two weeks, you know, they're two weeks worth of games out of a playoff spot. So just so, last, it's so close. Even though they have 15 points, right? Uh they would they're a t- they're above San Diego, Houston, and Seattle. So and um, frankly, I would take, I mean, if Oloy was home. I'd probably take them to pick them as the winner against more than half of the teams in MLR. So I mean, they're they're definitely no slouch. They have a better point differential than your team. Hey, hey so hey, hey guys, here, here's, here's a question I here's a question I posed to you. Just kind of going back to I think it was year one or year two. Is Mika Cruze's development on schedule? Because I, I remember uh, seeing him in his rookie year, like you know he's fresh, eighteen year old, like you know like making the starting roster. And you're like, in two years, this kid is going to be taking over games. I and while so. he definitely had really impressive flashes, I feel like there hasn't been that, you know, Mika, you know, takeover of an attack plan. Like that I don't know. I, I look at, if you look at what he's done so far for the Warriors, he's been a key piece of what they've done. Like, he's been an outstanding, you, you know, just an outstanding piece of what they do on attack, um, can definitely contribute on, on defense, I just I, I tweeted it. I tweeted it this week, and I tweeted it a couple of weeks ago. Some I was like, some football coach screwed up by not recruiting hmm. uh, Mika Cruz. Like, as far as oh, either a running back or receiver or whatever, the dude is just 
a flat out powerful athlete. And we just happen to have him as a rugby player. Um, and, and part of development, I think that can be stunted is just not getting game time. And um, just with the way sort of selections went in Glendale, uh, you know, he didn't get in that second year or in, in the second year. And then obviously last uh, the, the last year uh, they were putting guys like Renee Ranger on, on the field who would have unreal games. And yeah. then the next week he would have an awful game. So I, I think yeah, we're on. I, think, I mean, he, he plays a position where there's relatively a lot of depth for Team USA. So he's not really – it's hard for him to crack in at, at wing or center uh, into the national team. Well, I think but, it's going to be much like a wing. We're not – we're actually not deep at all right now. Um, but at center, I think you have a few relatively young guys like Bryce Campbell. Um, being Paul CK. That it's just breaking in as a center is going to be tough, but breaking in his wing, I mean, he's had really good games this year that he's probably on the radar for this, even this tour. I mean, he was on um, Gary Gold's radar a couple of years ago uh, when he went on the tour uh, to Europe where we played Samoa, Romania, and Ireland but he only played uh, in the USA versus Maori match, which in and of itself is a big game. Um, and so I think that showed like where he's in the national team picture just a couple of years ago. And then last year basically didn't exist. So, um, you know, obviously wasn't going to be a big piece going into the world cup just because of his youth, but there is some major turnover in the back line that he can definitely slot into. I think that we have gaps in, but um, let's see here. Uh, Los Angeles, 16, 18, New York. What? Well, say that again. I can finally have someone to throw. I, so, <laughs> so I'll be honest. Like, A, I, I still think this game was bad because the amount of balls – that whether they were from Harrison Goddard or Andy Ellis that saw grass instead of seeing hands was pretty high. Um, so that was kind of annoying. Um, it, but at first I thought it wasn't a good, I thought it was a decent win. And then I just thought about it, let it marinate. And then I went and watched a bunch of it. And I'm just like, and, and I'll let Craig get into this. Other than like the scrum for both teams, which was awful, uh, I there has been no team that has been able to match up with the physical intensity on defense against LA that LA has been able to bring in every single game previously um, than this game in New York. Um, on attack, uh, well, they did something that other teams didn't. And even though they did something that shouldn't have won them games just strategically, you can't just keep kicking penalties, but you know, when you play good defense, you get that. So Craig. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, yeah, we, we, I feel like every week we've been having a series. Can anyone beat uh, LA? Obviously I did not, I don't think any of us picked them. I certainly didn't pick New York to, to beat them this week. You know, I like to think I wrote an article about, 
LA and how they play. And then the next week my team beats them. Maybe they read the article, got some ideas, but uh, I, you know, I think the truth is they were, they, their game plan on defense that New York executed was so flawlessly done. And I think Nate Brakely and Will Leonard were huge parts of that. I mean, you, and Hongo Hammersize too. I mean, you, you saw like every tackle, first of all, New York made contact and did not let that runner go. They, they, you know, you, your coaches say, you know, keep driving the feet, finish the tackle. I mean, they have mastered that in this game. They, they made contact and they drove that person until they were taken down and away from the angle they had been attacking, which was making it hard for the next phase to launch quickly. And then every tackler was just popping up into a tabletop platform over the ball. So LA had to come in and really work to clear them out. And they just couldn't get the fast ball that had been the style of their game. And I, I think I saw, well, obviously, you know, I, I participate in this too, but I, I haven't seen the stats. I saw in, in the write-up for first 15, I think Brinkley had 46 ruck arrivals. Yeah, like so this is the first game where, like, there was another – this was the first game where, where this was – this is Nate Brinkley. Where I felt like this season because there was a there was this game not last year but the year before no it was last year because we didn't have uh, the ruck statistics in season two where he had sixty ruck rivals like so Brakely is a guy just statistically the only guy that I think has been close to what he has done over with a body of work was Rumball this year and Rumball wasn't like this last year at all. But Brakely, like he just – and this is why I tell Nate he needs to put weight on. He just he just does work. Yeah. He, he was he was everywhere. It seemed like he was involved in every play. And he was – again, he was not only getting involved in the tackles, getting involved in the rucks, but he was getting involved in such a way that it was stopping the quick transition to the next phase. And, uh, and in fairness, L.A. did not have Matt Guito, so – you know, would they? Would he have? You know, thought a way through that and, and done something creative to help his team break through the the stalemate that you're created? Maybe you know. So that's fair, you know, to say for those who are wanting to be doubters of this New York win. But I mean, overall, still compared to any other effort, this was by far the most success any teams had. Slowing the LA attack, and then, like I said, New York didn't even score a try. It was just six penalty goals and uh, and an upset win. And uh, a happy Monday morning fly half. I've never seen in MLR so far a team that played the ruck that fast, never score a try, and also not give up the ball. Um, and that's what that's what LA did. They played with a high tempo, moved the ball from left to right a bunch of times, and because LA has a penalty problem. It reminds me of San Diego in season two um, that they were just able to draw penalties, you know, whenever they wanted at the breakdown. Um, And that's what, you know, led to um, seven penalty attempts and six penalty conversions for Holland's head. So that's what and I think LA, we, we, I think they, they even mentioned this in the broadcast, and I hadn't really noticed it, but once they said it, I did notice it, which is that LA doesn't seem to work very hard in the ruck, unlike the physical rucking part of it. You know, they're very good at recycling the ball on the ruck, and they're very good at quick placement, and they're they, they're they're 
coordination and timing is very good. So that like, as soon as the guy goes down, the next pot is on its way and it's all at speed. If they don't, however, like get in there and clear the ball very physically, very, you know, very they, well. haven't, they really haven't had to. Yeah. But that's what, in this case they did. Cause every New York player was, was, you know, tabletop yeah. right over the, the ball carrier. And they just, they couldn't get the ball. Yeah. That's why they were losing the ball. Yeah. They were getting penalties because they couldn't get the guy out of there in time. They, you know, there's, there's not used to that physical play the weird, uh, at the break. The weird part about this one though, was teams have sort of tried to match up with them physically. I, I think the only team that was actually semi-successful at this was Toronto. And then the, the success that, New York had was not giving up any points when they had a yellow because when Toronto had a yellow with Gaston Contreras going off, they gave up three tries in 10 minutes. So yeah. that's, that's the real, that's the real success. Well, with Harry Bennett's kick of death. I mean, that he had a monster kick. Harry Bennett came off the bench for New York, had a monster clearance kick that rolled. It went out, you know, it didn't go through the dead ball area, it went out into touch, but then it rolled past the dead ball area. And you could see DTH Vandermeer chasing it. And you just saw a look on his face. It was like the 76th minute. And he was like excited to get it, excited to get it. And then as it kept rolling away, you saw his face go like, oh man, we're going to lose this game, aren't we? Like, <laughs> like this ball, is so, we're so far away from scoring right now. Uh, it was beautiful. I liked it. Um, so moving into the last game, uh, San Diego 15, Seattle 21. Where, uh, you, you looking for your hat right now, Aaron? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we'll be right like, back. You guys talk about this for a minute. So, Craig, I was, I was going to ask, is, is do you think this is the definitive uh, game by, by the end of the season for the wooden spoon? Because uh, I think I think either of these teams have to play each Got other it. one more time. Yeah, yeah, they'll play one more time. I mean, this is only all right. Second game at Starfire. Man, so second game at Starfire, first win of the season at Starfire. Um, yeah, at Starfire. Obviously, the Rugby Network was like, "Hey, first win in front of your home fans," and then there was some chatter back and forth with the main account. I thought that was hilarious because I was like, the "English was clear to me," you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was in some ways it was the return of old Seattle, but in others, it was just like, this is still a really bad game. Um, and, uh, you know, AJ Alatimu, I thought had, I mean, obviously he was selected the top 10 for the first 15, but not fresh off the plane because he's been here for like two weeks. Cause he had to do his quarantine thing. Um, he, it, it shows what having a real fly half does for a team because they tried to sort of, you know, do piecemeal that with Kieran Joyce, uh, flip uh, JP Smith out as I think it was a, as a wing or a center and like pretty much getting one. Yeah, yeah just, I don't know what the heck they were doing. They were just like, hey, put someone in. Uh, they their control their ability to control the field. points of your Starbucks rewards you get to <laughs> their ability to control the field didn't exist. Um, that's one of the reasons why they were getting the brakes beat off of them. Um, and then you look at then then their defense inside the twenty two, the sea the seawall was back. Defense inside the five was back. Uh, and then they only gave up like kickable penalties, and also the San Diego lineout was 
I need to look, but it has to be the worst line out in the league, which is weird because well, they've got Ben Mitchell, who is you know very good in the air, and they've got Comtot, who is pretty good in the air. I think it's mostly to do with their cadence and being sort of like figured out. And even though the whole San Diego team is very disjointed because I I just felt like watching this match, there were so many instances in which you're like, all right, this is when San Diego is going to mount the comeback. Like, all right, this is when they're going to get the try. This is when they're going to start eating up meters. And something would always just quell that momentum, whether it kind of like I say every week, there was bullets in the foot, you know, for San Diego at the end of this game. And I think, when you, when you say it's like it's the return of old Seattle, it's like, yeah, it's the, it's old Seattle when they're playing a really disjointed squad. I'm not, I mean, that's why I said it was a vacuum of leadership. That's why I said it wasn't a good game. Yeah. It, was yeah. The return, it looked like the return of old Seattle. It wasn't the return of old Seattle. Um, I, it's like, if, you know, the, the most recent Mike Tyson fight, you know what I mean? I, it's just like, I, you, you got to consider the competition. I just look at what's going, I mean, Seattle's got a lot to do to get ready. I think that this could be a platform to uh, not save the season, but to build towards next season. Just, you know, getting back into the winning ways. They're just too far out at this juncture to have a, a chance at the playoffs. Let, I mean, yeah. even a sniff. Uh, San Diego is just so bad. They have so many injuries right now. Carlo Denation is your kicker. I mean, he's kicked before. But, like, uh, I asked Brian Ray about it. He shot me a link, and he kicked uh, he kicked the Dell Diamonds when the, the Raptors played uh, Austin Elite in 2019. So it, it's not unheard of. But I was like, if he's, do, if he's kicking your penalties, you got problems. Um, and, like, they don't really have a backup. I mean, well, they signed Ethan McVeigh, who is a very good young prospect out of Cardiff Metropolitan University. He is a local kid. Uh, he just wanted, He just went to the UK to play his college rugby. Um, but, like, they don't have another fly half right now, as far as I know. I, I don't know when um, Joe Peterson will be back, but Iglesias Gonzalez was kind of it. And Tyanosa has been a, you know, great servant of the game um, as a utility back for the Eagles and that on back great athlete, but just there are so many pieces rotating in and out because of injuries that just makes things really tough. Um, I don't think they don't, they, they just don't have that swagger and the physical intensity. Their, their pattern is run amok. Like there's no, when they play, they don't really play with like, good depth um they're they're not connected uh whereas i mean i would say in a game that was crazy that you saw like how both both patterns worked um for both teams on attack was was utah versus uh dc like both those teams like the 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 players have it down like they're interconnected the difference is like how long it takes someone to convert for points but in this game both like both like both attacks were pretty bad um and it's really hard to try and figure out what's going on um but it's gonna be a long season for these two teams which kind of sucks uh, i think uh michael smith uh for who's a ubc grad 
and was is a Canadian under 20, really put his hand up for San Diego in getting his first start. I thought he played extremely well. Um, but, like, line out is they don't have one, and I couldn't tell you why. It's really bad. Um, so... <sighs> Great week. Oh, so we're gonna we're gonna look at seven games this week because I I think we're I don't know how we're gonna do this next week, but there's a game on Wednesday, so probably record on Thursday or some something or other. Or live record during the game. That that might the Gila yeah. Monster. You guys want to do a match companion? <laughs> 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 but um uh, so um, New Orleans at San Diego. I'll take this one. Uh, yeah, I think uh, SD, uh, their defense is non-existent. I think their attack doesn't work, um, whereas NOLA continues to play a very disciplined brand of rugby. Uh, they don't commit a lot of penalties. Uh, their attack is starting to get better. You you finally saw what Timothy Guillemon could do. Like I, he got benched a couple of weeks ago and then responded last week, week before last with a very good game off the bench when Carl Meyer went out. Um, and this game, I wouldn't say saved Nola's season, but this is sort of like just the way they're playing is sort of the Nola you want to see. Um, very disciplined, very hardworking, um, control the pitch, and use their set piece. So I think that's going to happen. They're playing down at Chola Vista, which is a very fast pitch, which is going to be sim- more similar to uh, what they play at um, at the gold mine and not similar to any surface that uh, San Diego has been playing on. Um, so I would, I might even go comfortable with this Nola by 10. Um, so first I just want to say there's, uh, Tim Guillemin's name is probably the most frustrating for me to hear mispronounced. Um, like the the, last week, I believe the announcer was using like Gilliman or something like that. Yeah, he was saying it weird. I was like, someone asked me and I was like, Gilliman, Tim Guillemin, Guillemin. Like it's not, and if you're going to say it's it's French. You can say Guillemin, which Guillemin. I say like Gilliman is just like it's the Gilliman is on Gilliman's Island. Yeah. (laughs) Gilliman. But yeah. Yeah. So, Uh, but so, uh, yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to have to go on this one. Uh, Yeah. Nola minus 13. I'm going to give them a big win. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, I also agree. Nola's going to win. I'll say Nola by 10. Nola and Tim Gilliman. By ten, he should be on one of the Gill teams. Wouldn't that be more appropriate? <laughs> uh, the next game, Toronto at Houston. Yeah. So right now, Toronto sitting at three and five, eighteen points. They're in fifth place in the East, but still, like, like we've been saying, that you know, like th- those playoff slots are still mildly wide open. Uh, Houston currently fifth place in the West at two and five, thirteen points, a playoff spot looking very, very not likely. Um, so two mildly different outlooks for both these squads. Looking at the state of the East, Toronto, you know, like I said, they still have that real, they still have that realistic playoff push, but they have to start winning games consistently now. Um, and I think this Houston squad is a really good place to start. Not saying that you know, I got, I got love for my SaberCats and stuff like that, uh, but the, their, their defense in the second half has been poor uh, to say the least. 
Um, and I don't see them, like as I've said tw- like two times before now, uh, I don't see them surpassing the win totals of either Austin or Utah. Uh, some some numbers heading into this game. Uh, Houston scoring an average of 20.7 uh, seven points a game while allowing an average of 30. Uh, meanwhile, Toronto is scoring an average of 30 uh, and letting up an average of 24. Uh, so the numbers don't, uh, don't don't look great for Houston in terms of putting points on the board. Uh, the one uh, the, uh, they are uh, ahead of Toronto in terms of average territory, fifty three to forty nine, uh, and Houston still a league leading, astounding number um, for for the scrum ninety eight point one eight percent compared to just ninety three point four from Toronto. So respectable number from Toronto, awesome uh, stat for Houston. So they're going to have to use the opportunities at getting, um, you know, clean platforms out of the scrum, uh, using that territory mark to put pressure on Toronto, maybe eke out a win. Um, but I think, you know, when you guys like when you have guys like for Toronto, like Manuel on the outside, who is going to really challenge Houston in terms of the speed of their defensive shift. Um, I, 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 I think it's a lot likely that Toronto makes their attempt at a playoff push now. So I'm going to go Toronto minus six. <sighs> it's like. Houston has been playing well, but they've also been losing games at the same time. Which that's, kinda, that's what I'm saying. There's, there's which is kind of annoying. Half defense crumbles. Which like, is kind of annoying, but I looked at that team sheet last week. Taylor Howden at 10, moving Povey um, to 15. I don't – I mean, Taylor's been a great, great guy, great, great servant of the game, but I just – he's not a starting fly half in this league. I, he's probably uh, a guy that plays 20 to 30 minutes and then does your community, to be honest. Um, and I, I don't think it worked for Houston in this last game. Um, if he's starting at 10, they're going to have problems. I, Povey is not really a big-time distributor at fly half, but he um, he has great vision and his management uh, when he can – put the ball down or put the ball in the air is important. And just as an attacking player, he's probably better off at 10, especially if you have uh Windsor playing 12 to be a link guy in the attack. Um, but yeah, I, if it just depends on how fit uh, at Toronto are after last week, but if they push out, you know, th- their best team, I think they win by 10 points. <laughs> Jeez. I feel like, Season one of MLR, it, it became the most obvious thing that every team that went south uh, that was not a Southern team really underperformed. And I feel like that's we're going to see that again, and it's not getting enough respect as people do these picks. Toronto has not played well in the south. Uh, Houston is playing pretty well. I actually think Howden at 10 is okay because Windsor at 12 handles like – the midfield striking need that you have in that area of the field. And but you, remember, you, Toronto's in Atlanta now. Not not just the team, the whole city. They picked it up and moved it. So they're playing, <laughs> they're playing in the south. Yeah, yeah, but they're but they're not. I mean, they lost both to Atlanta in Atlanta. Uh, they lost in New Orleans. I mean, have they won a game south? Of, you know, of you know the Mid Atlantic region. I can't think of one. Um, so I mean, you know, I I, I want to pick Toronto too, but. Uh, I think it's going to be a lot closer than you guys do. So you're saying the only games they're going to win are when they go north of the Mason-Dixon. or Well, not north of the Mason-Dixon. Whatever the parallel is that cuts 
Virginia from North Carolina, you're saying those are the only games they're going to win. I mean, I, I wouldn't put such a fine point on it, but yes, I think they play much. They they play better <coughs> the more north they go. Let's put it that way. Um, the yeah, better the poutine of the region, the better they play. <laughs> I also think uh, Atlanta showed something this week about uh, one way to neutralize Toronto's kind of big play attack is to just mob Montero and not let him do anything. I'll be curious to see if other teams try to replicate that. So I think this is going to be close. I could easily change my pick to Houston by the time we get to Super Brew, but I'm going to say right now Toronto by two, but I think this is this is anyone's yeah, going to be close. Um, so, man, where, I, why did I move that? Hang on. What's the next game? Next is New York at Austin. Well, uh, perfect. It's your game anyway. Yeah. So another, another northern team going south, uh, which I don't love. Um, look, New York, gosh, I, I think they played their worst game of the year two weeks ago, even though they won. But against Seattle was an awful effort. Uh, this was – Certainly, I think their best overall game of the year to beat LA. Hard to judge. Austin's coming off a tough loss. Um, you know, Austin, you know, New York's attack has been hit or miss, and Austin's defense obviously is great. Uh, has been great in every game. Yeah. Doesn't so, matter. Like, I think 22 points is most they've given up. So. Yeah, so this is. I think I think this is going to be a tough for New York uh, coming off the, the good win in LA. I, I mean, I got it. I hate to pick against New York, especially because then I get grief from the other Rooney supporters. But uh, I think I'm going to have to go Austin by two. Uh, I mean. There's a large part of me that wants to pick New York, just you know, coming off the momentum with their victory over LA. But I think if I were to pick New York to win, the Bostonian part of my heart would just, you know, develop into ash, especially wearing this hat. So um, I'm going to say this game ends in a draw uh, at 13 points apiece. There you go. After <laughs> insulting draws earlier, you're picking a draw now. Exactly. I think it's going to be a close game because Austin still doesn't have a really good attack. Uh, they have a great defense, but uh, I want to say something like 18, 14, four points to Austin. Okay. If this game ends in a draw, then uh, you guys need to start calling me Baba Yaga. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Baba Yaga. Uh, for then, all my fellow English majors out there who got that joke. <laughs> New England at Atlanta. This gets weird. Oh, yeah. oh it, it gets weird, man. But sometimes it's awesome when it gets weird. But uh, <laughs> so anyway, New England currently sitting at four and three with 21 points, third place in the East. Uh, Atlanta, four and three, 21 points, fourth place in the East. It just comes down to point differential in terms of the final standing with these two. So both of them, um, you know, sim- similar points, similar record, similar point differentials, both well within the playoff race. Uh, like I said earlier, New England, uh, I think they've been operating a lot better. But where my concern is for them is in the set piece. Uh, not great numbers in the lineout unless you're only looking at tries off mall, malls. Uh, and their scrum is a league low 81.3%. 
Um, yeah, it's not. Which good. I, yeah, eighty-one. But I, I don't understand. As much as I, I said it was good this weekend, it's not good. Yeah, exactly, dude. <laughs> I don't understand how in modern rugby, when the scrum half is basically allowed to throw the freaking ball out the other end of his side, that you have a sub ninety percent win rate in the scrum. Um, love my New England guys. Yeah. Lo- lo- you know, I, I love the makeup of that scrum. It has the potential to be really good, but I just don't understand where the disconnect is. Um, so, anyway. So interesting. Uh, I'm going to say this about like the other team uh, that we'll preview, but if this scrum law wasn't in place, um, they would be struggling. Oh, would be struggling. Uh, anyway, <laughs> they have a winning record right now. No, 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 for, for sure. For sure. Um, but anyway, uh, ATL, they, they, they have above average numbers in both respects, 92.5 for them in the scrum, uh, plus an advantage in territory, 52.2 to only 47% uh, from New England. Um, but like I said, New England, they, they've been continuing to make uh, improvements on making their opponents' mistakes count in favor for them. Um, ATL isn't too bad on the penalty fight front, and they can strike quickly. Um, but New England, their, their defense is going to really have a tan, handful, um, especially in the red, red zone. Um, I think, Aaron, you called him Big Beefy Mike O'Keefe. Um, Marco O'Keefe. Marco O'Keefe, yeah. Sorry. Uh, Big Beefy Marco O'Keefe is going to be an issue uh, like for them at the center position. Um, but, you know, it's well, where a lot of their successes come is forcing these, you know, um, like forcing these long phases you know, and draw, uh, draw out the attack for, the, for their opposition inside the red zone force their mistakes, kick for some decent territory, and they're able to strike quickly. Um, in, in striking, And that, that ability to strike quickly and score quickly, like we saw them do in the comeback versus Austin, um, is kind of, you know, is the cause of that uh, low territory number because they're not exactly, you know, playing these long, drawn-out phases uh, on the other side of the 50-meter. It's kind of, you know, you know, either, you know, mauling in from the line-out or it's a really good... Uh, you know, or, or it's a really good attack, uh, like uh, you know, off a off a you know platform from the set piece. So I'm gonna go. I'm done. You know, trying to not be biased. So I'm gonna go New England minus four uh, for an ultimate victory over ATL. It's it's kind of weird because they haven't really. I don't. I don't think Bautista Iscura is really a fly half for them. Or maybe this week he he really shows that he can play ten at a high level. I think he's shown flashes in games. Um, for them, I think he's probably more suited to actually play fullback. And then you, if you flipped uh, Adrian Carolsa up to fly half and maybe put Azkura either at fullback or in the centers and then put Van Vucht, uh in as your fullback, you, you still end up with three uh, ball players who can keep, put the ball down in the back line. Um, but, I mean... I get shit from New England every week, so uh, good. Might as well pick Atlanta again um, and pick against them again, so I can get you know shit from them next week. But no um, one likes Atlanta. I think, yeah, maybe Atlanta by three. It's a home game. It's getting hot. It's going to be humid. Uh, whereas there we go. Uh, you know, Low heat, everyone. Uh, it gets pretty. It gets pretty humid in New England in the summer. Believe it or not. Yeah, in the like summer, it's it, it, it's, it, it's not like you know. When we play games at Union Point in July, we can talk about this. You know, I was like, you know, someone was like, you know, playing games in the South in July is not really ideal. I was like, no shit. 
Yeah, y'all y'all don't know anything about Seabreeze until you've played at Union Point or been to Union Point. Union Point is is fine. It's uh, cold, the worst, man. The it's worst cold. the worst place to play when it comes to wind so far, if you pay attention, has been well, Vegas was bad. But you know the one place that re- like no, sucks? No, 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 no. New York, where they're playing at Cochrane, the wind pl- blows one way. And it's consistent the whole time. That was like Coney Island was too. Very windy. So um, yeah, I think I'm at. Uh, I think you know Atlanta by three is where I'm at, Craig. Yeah, I like you know. I think just like you said, Liam. I think New England has really made their money this year, capitalizing on mistakes and really you know leveraging them. I think Atlanta is one of the better organized you know, team least likely to both make mistakes and let themselves be gouged by those mistakes. So uh, given that and they're at their home, I'm also going to go Atlanta. I, I want to say Atlanta by six. All right. Um, so now we've got Utah at Los Angeles in SoFi, uh, which is definitely the biggest uh, place we've ever played. Uh, uh well, never played in the modern era uh, rugby, I would say. U- UCLA, USC, the biggest p- played in the biggest place that has had rugby ever. And that was the old Coliseum when it had uh, a rating of like 100,000 people, um, when it still had a track on it and stuff like that. But this is the biggest modern place uh, that rugby has been played at in this country. And it's going to be real interesting. Um, you know, I think there's an emotional high from the win that uh, Utah got. Uh, they had to they had to work, uh, you know, a decent amount, but I think they're, they're feeling really good. They didn't come out banged up against uh, D.C. Uh, and they, from what I understand, Monday was not a comfortable uh, day for them. They got, they got put right back in their place, uh, be like, hey, Guess what, boys? We're playing Los Angeles on Saturday, so you better like get humble after that win. Um, and uh, so, and then you have LA on this sort of emotional, maybe loss, uh, and, and whatnot. So definitely a loss. It's well, it's definitely a loss, you know. So. Um, and I think they lost two players, Glenn Bryce, uh, not Adam Ash. He went off with a yellow Glenn Bryce and somebody else, um, went off in this game. New York lost Leguizamon in the game. Uh, well, yeah, but LA lost two players in, in that game. So I think Glenn Bryce is like out, out, uh, which really they don't Glenn Bryce has played every game, every minute. Um, at fullback for them, so I don't know who their their next fullback really is. Um, yeah, when do we expect Matt Guito to be playing? Is he, uh, I mean, he has played, so he was just he just got rotated off. Um, so he I expect injured during the broadcast. when you're six and zero, you can do. He that. wasn't a reserve. I don't I mean, think no, so. like so because he's already had a week off before. So, I. Uh, I expect him to play this next week. So injury, what, what, what kind of injury? Like, is it just a niggle and you're like, Hey, let's just, you know, you're seven and oh, um, or six. 
Yeah, six and zero. They were six and zero. Now six and one. Six and one. Like you're six and zero. You can afford to like rest one of your big stars, and then you know, then you drop a game. So. Yeah, whatever. I think the other game he, he didn't start was against Houston, but he came off the bench, if I recall. But anyway, different he, game. He be back. In a different game that he didn't play um, than that one. But yes, he came off the bench against against Houston. Uh, I mean, you pick a lay until they sort of. I think I think Utah can win this game if if they're able to play at a high if they're pl- able to play with high fitness and like. It, it, there isn't a drop off. They're they're very good in the set piece. They're very good in the scrum. Uh, something that LA doesn't have is they haven't had a good scrum all year. And I think, like I mentioned, if if the scrum law was normal, uh, you have teams that could have using use their scrum as a weapon to get penalties and force yellow on some of those props. Um, so I still think it's probably LA. And it could be LA by like twenty, or it could be LA by like four. So probably go safe, LA by twelve. Yeah, I think uh, I, I agree pretty much exactly with that assessment. I think Utah can win this. We've seen a chink in the LA armor. I think Utah is well positioned to exploit that chink. They're a physical team. They can be. I think they have the capacity to bully LA in the set piece. Bully at least in the scrum, uh, bully them around the ruck. You know, we saw the trouble that New York caused with that. Still, I think LA is going to be reeling from their first loss, and they're going to be all guns firing for this home game for them. Um, so not you know not at the Utah altitude. Utah hasn't played as well away from home, so I, I do think LA is going to win this one. Uh, so I'm going to say LA by nine. So. Um- I agree with what you said, Craig, that, you know, Utah, they have, they have the speed and the physicality to really, um, you know, where New York had their most success was when they, uh, you know, shook LA at the breakdown. Um, and Utah, um, I think has probably a greater, you know, mean average of speed, um, like, you know, player by player. And I think they're going to be able to kind of, you know, uh, you know, like uh, ride that wave in terms of watching the game film. Uh, it, it's also going to come down to whether or not LA can adapt. I think we were, we've said on this show before that a big reason like that they're all, they were on that six game win streak is they had that time in Hawaii uh, in the bubble to kind of get, you know, set into their system and be able to like operate it efficiently. So how are they going to be adapt now that people have started to kind of find the chinks in that armor within that system? Um, are they going to try to be like, maybe it was just a fluke that New York beat us. Um, so, <laughs> Uh, just just in case the improbable happens, I want to be the one pundit who is right. Um, so I'm going to go Utah by one. <laughs> All right. Uh, um, guy approach. The next game, uh, Seattle travels to D.C. They play – it's not the earliest kickoff of the year, uh, but it, for them it's going to be a 9 a.m. Pacific time. I think this is going to be an easy one. Um, DC is a superior set piece. They have a better scrum. Uh, they have better connection with their backs. Uh, their attack works very well. I think this can be very ugly. So, um, you know, just in my safe pick here is going to be DC by like 16. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go DC minus eight. I think Seattle is, is feel is kind of feeling themselves after the victory last week, but not, not enough to get the win. Yeah. 
I think the old Lord is going to be pissed at their loss. Seattle's losing star firepower. And uh, we saw what happened last time. They, they traveled East for an early kickoff. They lost by 50. Uh, so I'm going to say old glory by 21. Oh, yeah. damn. Um, so, and then the final game, I, we'll figure that out. Uh, whether we literally broadcast while the game is happening or not. I think um, we should. Let's just do it live. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I, I will. I have to work on Thursday. I mean, on Wednesday, on on Wednesday, or so. Uh, uh, well, then maybe we do Thursday. But yeah. uh, I got I got to work on Thursday too, man. That's, oh my that's, gosh! That's, that's hey, you know he's gonna you. tap out, and we're All gonna right. call pods canceled, guys. Liam, <laughs> call, calling up a reserve, but uh, we, we got a bench here at EOD, man. So, yeah, we do. It's kind of nice. So LA travels to Austin. I think really um, Austin can. Austin is a superior set piece uh, when it well, not the line out, but they have a line out that can match up. Well, uh, Isaac Ross is like, he is a, a thief in the air when you put him up against someone else's line out. Uh, they have a better scrum. Um, I think their, their attack is good enough. Um, if they do the New York thing. Um, but, uh, it really depends on what happens against Utah, but I think because of a short week, they can probably drop this game. Who drops it? LA? LA. I think they could. Yeah, I think they I I, I it's so hard to pick without seeing the games because I, I think if if Utah go in there and beat the pus out of LA, even if they lose and LA win on the weekend, I mean a three-day turnaround from having to you know get walled for 80 minutes by Utah. And then go face the best defense in the MLR. I can see that being a challenge, but I don't the, know. That you the thing that the thing that. that helps Austin is they don't have to go anywhere. If, yeah, New York travels to Austin, but it's a there. It's just if, two home games in a row. Hey guys, so in the unlikely scenario that LA drops not one, not two, but three games in a row, how much does the narrative in the Western Division flip? Oh my gosh. A lot. <laughs> they, a lot. It, I guess it would look like that not I guess that the it would be a collapse of like New Orleans in 2019. It would still be a three-team race in the West. Oh but, yeah. It's yeah. still a three-team race because the other three teams. I mean the sh- the sheen of invincibility would certainly be gone for LA. Uh yeah, I think it's I I, I have I, I have trouble seeing Utah winning. You know, more than maybe like twenty percent chance, but I think if Utah does their job and really pushes it, I think Austin has like a, a legit fifty-fifty chance in the way. Yeah, I'll, I'll go Austin minus two on this one, man. I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping for the three games. Austin, I mean, how could I pick it? We haven't seen the games. This is like a game for both of them before. Austin, the let's go Austin minus half a point. <laughs> Fire. I mean, I, I, can do, I can do that in Vegas, man. I'm completely reserving my right to change this pick after we see the weekend. Obviously. I'm going to say, uh, uh, all right, well, since you two picked Austin, I'm going to say LA, but I'll say LA by three. All right. Uh, I think that's it for us in week eight and previewing week nine. Uh, I think there was a cool. Uh, title to a thread that I had pinned on Reddit. Um, Welcome to prove it week. That's, that's, that's what this week is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For, for real. Like uh, there's a lot of these teams. I'm going to say like, you know, like 
old glory DC, you know, to an extent, maybe Atlanta and New England, where like these games are going to be crucial in terms of the playoff pushes, um, you know, particularly out in the West, you know. For that I mean, old glory needs a bonus point to get out of the cellar. So, you know, yeah. All right, guys. Um, thanks for the show. Uh, thanks to all the listeners. Uh, if you did not listen to this, you will catch it on the podcast, which should be out uh, tomorrow night um, or in your podcast feed uh, on Friday morning. So, um, do we tell people to leave five star reviews? I feel oh. like. I feel like all the other pods do that. Leave us a review. Oh, where's hey, somebody leave us a five star review that doesn't like? Well, if you're gonna drag us, at least give us five stars. <laughs> I don't care if you drag us. Much appreciated. Just, just give me the five stars. And we're waiting for social media. I don't know. Maybe I'll tweet this. I don't know. Someone should put up. I want to see people's uh, castings for the Team USA rugby yeah. movie. Yep. All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, and we're out of here. Thanks for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Connect with your hosts via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Visit our website at earfulofdirt.com or email us your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com. Please note, Aaron Castro is employed by Major League Rugby. His opinions are his own.